2: Hello, and welcome to Tunes and Tumblrs Century Club by Atwood Magazine, your weekly shot of what's new in music. Be sure to give both Atwood and Toons and Tumblrs a like, subscribe, share, and everything else on all the platforms, and tell your friends about us. It's a little lonely in the disembodied void that is uh, remote quarantine recording sessions. My name is Anthony, and unless I'm mistaken, it's officially fall. Well, everywhere else except in Los Angeles, Here, we wait for Zac Efron to see his shadow. If he does, there will be six more weeks of summer. Take that spooky season. Please don your muscle shirts responsibly. We also have a special guest joining us on this week's episode of Century Club. French singer-songwriter Penelope Antenna will be joining us at the end of the show to tell us all about her sophomore album, Be and treat us to her song, Prairie. Be sure to stick around, or just scrub to the end right now and skip 30 minutes of men talking over each other while knocking back shots. Of course, we all know that drinking alone is a sad, sad business, so I found the two loudest voices on Reddit to, well, actually me for the episode, and they are...
3: God, why are these intros so fucked up? <laughs> they're, get, they're getting more and more
4: antagonistic. <laughs> if you compiled all of the intros, they just paint the worst people <laughs> in society. Someone on TikTok, please compile all the intros.
3: Uh, uh, well, uh, Ryan. Ryan, you're music connoisseur. <laughs> First worst pa- person.
4: Pedro, pa- you're mixologist. <laughs> yeah, thank you for joining
2: me, guys. And I, I understand these have been getting, you know... Worse, But we all know that I'm the loudest voice on the show, so, you know, no hard feelings. (laughs) That's true. Anyway, I have plans this afternoon, so let's hurry up and get this nonsense done. Let's swing by the news desk and see what has been happening in the world of music. In our first story, One Republic frontman and ubiquitous hitmaker Ryan Tedder claims that, quote, classic songs are strangling new music. In an interview with Mark Savage of the BBC... Tedder explained that lately he's become concerned at how streaming is affecting new artists. He said, The frustrating thing about music is that now there's too much of it. All right, go off, King. He continues, (laughs) There's 62,000 songs a day uploaded to Spotify, and it gets a lot harder to get heard. Bands aren't just competing with those uploads, though. They're also up against every song in the streaming service's vast catalog. He said, a large portion of the people that are streaming, they've never owned a CD. They may not listen to the radio. And when they hear David Bowie's Life on Mars, they're hearing it for the first time. You're competing with every song that has ever come out. You know, he's not wrong. Um, Entertainment analysts at MRC Data say that catalog albums, which are defined as anything older than 18 months, now account for 66% of all streams worldwide. Now, you know, if you ask me about this, it's kind of a dual-edged sword. I mean, yes, there's so much to compete with, but also there's such possibility for new discovery. I think there are fewer gatekeepers and hurdles to getting your music into people's ears. Like I could go on Spotify right now, download my friend's album, and loop it while I sleep. And TikTok teens could also get their hands on it and turn into a global phenomenon. But yeah, you know, he's he's right. It's tough to break through. It always has been, even before streaming, right? But, you know, if I can editorialize a little bit, I think this whole line of criticism feels pretty cynical coming from Tedder, the guy who celebrated a billion streams to his song Rescue Me in the exact same interview.
4: I was just (laughs) going to say. (laughs) Like, it's not hurting you, man. (laughs) So in uh, other uh, news about artists saying kind of some strange stuff. Um, I think we've all probably heard Nicki Minaj didn't go to the Met Gala because of their vaccination policy, and she is not vaccinated, and says that she uh, needs to do more research, and that she heard that her cousin's friend became impotent and his text and his testicles got swollen because of the vaccine, according to her. Um, to me, it sounds like he got something else, but anyway, that's that's the hill she's dying on, and uh, now Rose McGowan has come to like back her up. And is trying to like tell everybody like, I stand with Nikki. Um, we know how powerful the elite is, and just because uh what is it, just because you don't like she believes something you don't like, you guys need to question authority more and all this stuff. So anyway, Rose McGowan's in her corner for what's that for what that's worth. She questions authority, but not Larry
3: Elder's authority since she came and spoke with him.
4: I mean, that's definitely what it sounds like more than anything. She's just like, just fight the power, question it. I don't care what it's about, as long as you're uh anti-something. Yeah, fight every power. Might be, time, might be time for some of you to take down those uh, American flags that have Nicki Minaj on the front. Is that a I thing? I think by the
3: time this comes out, there's probably going to be some developments on that. Like, <laughs> a bunch of people are going to be like commenting on it. Like, it's probably oh, yeah. going to have developed quite a bit. Oh, yeah. This one comes from uh, Digital Music News. Uh, Portishead says SoundCloud's fan-powered royalty system has boosted their payments 500%. Back in March, SoundCloud introduced fan-powered royalties, or direct-to-artist payments based upon actual user engagement. Now, a track that Bristol's Portis had released exclusively on SoundCloud in July has reportedly generated over six times the royalties that it would have made on streaming services with a pro-rata model in place. Upon noticing its plans to adopt a fan-powered royalty system earlier this year, Berlin-headquartered SoundCloud explained that the industry-first pivot would see the revenue from user subscription payments or viewed advertisements reach artists. Instead of pooling income and then distributing royalties as a portion of total streams to the benefit of ultra-popular acts who rack up billions of plays, the system uncompensating creators with the funds fronted by their own fans. Um, The article goes on, uh, making good on this attention to work with SoundCloud, Portisad, which recently celebrated the 27th anniversary of Dummy, released a cover of ABBA's S.O.S., exclusively on soundcloud said release mark the first time that the track was commercially available on a major streaming platform i miss
2: portis i'm gonna be the first one to say it i doubt you're the first
3: <laughs> the beauty of streaming and like ryan tatter said you can listen to them at any time <laughs>
4: you listen to everything <laughs> And it's, it's wrong. It's wrong that we are able to listen to all this. <laughs> it's wrong that it is all in one place conveniently for us to listen to. Well, I think he's right that
3: uh, there were, you know, things I think we all agreed with in that. Now he is right that it is, you're looking at all of recorded music on this, which is good for, for, for major labels, certainly. Yeah. But which is why, you know, you can turn to folks like us to narrow in and, uh find the dope shit like penelope antenna and such
0: exactly
2: yeah but before we can get to that amazing interview which i'm very excited about um we have uh something else that we need to discuss so ryan what exactly are we toasting to today
3: we are listening to montero the highly anticipated debut lp from little nas x out now Mm. on columbia records
2: uh amazing I know we typically do only one song for Century Club, but this is a special occasion. Today's the day we come full circle, gentlemen. Uh, For those of you who aren't day oneers, we talked about Lil Nas X in episode three of this entire show, back when Old Town Road conquered the world and made gay cowboys of us all. Mm -hmm. And while his EP7 was fun in its own way, it felt still like he was trying to find his voice musically. And two years later, he's given birth to this album, and holy shit, is it a different beast altogether. You know, I, I, I think it's remarkable, not just in how deep, confessional, and sonically rich it is, but it also comes from the same guy who blew up on a novelty song. A really dope novelty song, but a novelty song all the same. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Pedro, do you have a shot we can knock back while we dance our asses off?
4: I've got a shot. So as you mentioned, uh, he birthed this album. That's sort of been like a big promo theme of his, where he's like pregnant, he's having a baby, and it is this album. Um, So I kind of wanted to play off of that. Um, Plus the album itself features like colors, like very bright pinks, nice blues, sort of goes with like a baby theme. So I used that as inspiration to make this. Ooh. It's an industry baby. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's a nice like baby blue color on the shot, and then it's got this cherry sugar trail leading up to it that you have to eat as well. Um to sort of give it the, that pink color. And it's rum chata, amaretto, um, blue curacao, and uh yeah, it's just cherry sugar on the uh on the outside. So and got- this is an industry baby.
2: So you gotta lick it and then you gotta drink it? Oh yeah per use <laughs> and meanwhile i have run out of topo chico and i'm here sipping on trader joe's sparkling water <laughs> i'm just i'm i'm hitting rock bottom here gentlemen what is after this <laughs> what happens when i run out of the trader joe's shasta sparkling tap. water <laughs> hurry up pandemic this needs to end cheers you're everyone be, you're just gonna be blowing bubbles into tap water
3: cheers <laughs> cheers
2: mm. All right. Well, I already kind of got a little so bit into good. my own reactions to this album, but you know, obviously Montero is finally here and we need to ask the obvious question. Was the wait worth it? Did it live up to the hype? He's Pedro Pedro's trying to he's, he's still trying to drink that shot. I was swallowing the,
4: yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it um for me, it, it was actually more than I expected. Um it was way more varied, like just sonically, like there was it was there was a lot going on in it, but it, it but I enjoyed all of it and like I wasn't expecting it to be so deep and like there's so much insecurity and yet confidence at the same time coming out in this. Like it it's it's very um it's very raw and I really like it. And it's like the sounds are he he plays so much with everything and the collaborations are amazing. Um I think my favorite two tracks are Void and Am I Dreaming? Mm. I think those are my favorite two. But yeah, it was like... I, I think I was telling Ryan after I had first listened to it, like, if, if if it's your first time listening to it and you're not, like, super into a track you're listening to, um, just wait till the next one comes around because it's probably going to be different than what you just heard. And you'll probably like it. Um, there's a lot of surprises in this, and I, I really enjoyed it. It exceeded my expectations, honestly.
3: Yeah, I, um, I was... Yeah, I thought that... um. The the tracks that were more confident um, were kind of the the low points for me, actually. I didn't think those were, those felt not very specific to Lil Nas X. I thought the album really shined when, uh, during some of the more introspective, darker songs like Life After Salem, Mm -hmm. and that sort of felt like a fuller realization of what he's done or what I've heard his sound to be, which is kind of blending acoustic, organic sounds with uh, more pop production. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Tales of Dominica. Yeah, that was a great Those one. to me oh, are kind song. of like where it, like I would have loved a whole album of that, but like the song with Jack Harlow just felt like it it would go very well with any other rap, like top 40 rap song. Um, so I liked certain parts of it. Um, I don't know where my expectations were. I think obviously the creative direction for this is like the best ever, He's obviously yeah. a genius, like, in marketing and has an amazing team and has a vision. I just don't know that it was fully realized in all the different parts. And I was, um, I was sort of, <laughs> I guess, I mean, he's, a, he's so funny, but I was disappointed by the self-referential moments in the album. Like, when there were, like, re-records of him getting awards <laughs> and him actually mentioning Old Town Road in the song. I'll just, it feels like wearing your own band t-shirt. <laughs> um Or like, or like, Chingy and Holiday Inn saying, like, I did right there, <laughs> like, reminding people. Oh yeah, do you remember that? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but I, but that, but it's funny, and I don't think he like that's that's part of his part of his charm. I feel like so.
2: Speaking of wearing your own band tee, uh, I was at the gym one time, and the lead singer of the band Small Pools was there, and he was wearing a Small Pools t-shirt, and I'm just like. You know what? You got to believe in your own stuff, first of all.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is there, there's definitely, and this is no shade, there's something about that guy that I would think he would do that. <laughs> like, it, he just, he seems like he's really into, like, his band, which is good. If you don't like I, what you're, if you don't like what you're doing, why the fuck put it out?
3: I feel like that's a very metal band thing to do. Like, I remember Iron Maiden doing that a lot. Like, multiple members would have Iron Maiden t-shirts on while playing live. <laughs> which is, it's hilarious you got to prove that the merch is worth it. Mm-hmm.
4: Be your own model. Smallpool's the new Iron Maiden. You heard it here.
3: <laughs> Don't quote us. <laughs> I'd love someone have to, to have to try and like be forced by their editor to write that. Write that <laughs> and just like see what they could do. Seems like a fun <laughs> challenge, actually. Maybe More Anthony to... can do it.
4: Yeah, Anthony should do it.
3: Oof. Maybe. Just get some hate clicks on Medium. Make a few ducats. <laughs>
2: Look, one thing I like about working for Atwood is that when Mitch sends me a record and is like, hey, this band wants you to interview them, I could just straight up be like, look, dude, I'm really sorry. I don't like this album. I'd rather not touch it. I only want to write positive things. (laughs) I'm not telling which band or artist that is. Mostly the things that come across my desk are very good, and I just don't have time to write about all of them.
4: Please don't stop sending stuff.
2: Yes. I'm sorry. We do like your music. We love your music. But more to the point on Montero, I completely get what you're saying there, Ryan. There are definitely lower points and industry baby, yeah, it does play like, you know, the radio hit. Like, you know, the label coming in telling Blink182, like, look, take off your pants and jacket it has no hits. You need to write rock show and first date. Like, that's an mm-hmm. actual story. I don't know if anyone knows that. Um, thank God they did. <laughs> they are they are bops. But I think you can kind of break this up this album up into sections like the latter half of the record is where it really shines like that's where he like strips back he's like this is what's been going on with me for me it really hits like during Elton John's piano of uh one of me that's like the transition and then we get into Lost in the Citadel which is just straight up like an emo song (laughs) yeah and yeah that's that's for me like um I also love "Tales of Dominica." I I love out of the the uh, singles he put out initially. I think that "Sun Goes Down" is probably the strongest because that's where he kind of teased, "This is going to be more confessional than you realize." Yeah,
3: yeah, I think that's what makes him such a compelling figure. That's that's to me more interesting. Like that's I want to hear more of that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you know, you gotta have those. You gotta have those radio singles, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: I was gonna say it's sort of got something for everybody, right? It's got something for the people who are, you know, into the top forty and then it's got something for people who need a little bit more. Um, and I love that he's not afraid to play with all the different all the different like genres and sounds that he can that he obviously he knows that he can do that stuff. He knows that he can kinda do a little bit of everything and instead of sticking to one uh one sound, he allows himself to he allows himself to explore and and showcase all the different, all the different talents he has.
3: Was anyone else secretly hoping upon seeing John, uh, Elton John's name that there was going to, it was going to be a duet. I, I wanted that. I
4: really, ho- I really hoped. <laughs> oh, well, Next also time. Elton John, he's popping up a lot right now. He is. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping for a Coachella headlining spot saying it now. It might be really
3: good at staying in the conversation. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he did, uh, he was recently saying that Metallica's Sad But True is one of the greatest songs ever written. Hmm. Um, he's involved in Yeah, Yeah, he's good. I appreciate him staying in the conversation, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that, there's that remix of, the, of him and Dua Lipa now, uh, Cold Heart. And then I think him and Charlie Puth have something coming out soon. Maybe on Charlie Puth's next album. I don't know. He's working with a lot of people right now.
2: Him and Travis Barker. The two names in everyone's song. <laughs> Next, it's going to be the Elton John featuring Travis Barker song. It's going to happen. Honestly. The Venn diagram intersects somewhere.
3: I mean, look, he, he's always been open to collaboration, and I think mm-hmm. much more in a, in a really interesting way. Like the I remember him doing a duet uh, with Eminem at the Grammys. Oh, yeah. Yeah that's right that's where he he was trying to say the the dido
4: the dido part
2: yeah that was like the whole thing about uh when everyone was first coming after eminem for being homophobic and i you know don't quote me on this but that's also like where uh elton john was like look this is an opportunity for people to learn maybe is that what happened i was too i don't i don't know about that it was so long ago
3: (laughs) that sounds like uh sounds like a messy one
4: yeah, you know. yeah, it, but I but
2: it, I do remember it was of...
4: in the midst of a lot of like that specific kind of controversy.
2: Yeah, I I think it also had something to do with DaBaby at uh and and when he came out as homophobic, um because <laughs> came out as homophobic. <laughs> well, no, when he because came out, like when I was on Twitter. As the thing about Twitter arguments is that they're so convoluted that like you kind of get your details mixed up. But I remember Elton John oh, yeah. said something about like uh maybe da baby like has a chance to retract or whatever and then like you know some fucking edgelord posted a picture of like him with eminem at that show and was like this you like <laughs> like wow dude what point did you make
3: he- healthy dis, healthy discourse there
2: yeah right i'm gonna clap back at elton john real quick this is my <laughs> this is my chance <laughs>
4: There was something I wanted to say about Montero, but we kinda got off track a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> See Elton John just stealing the spotlight, pulling focus. Love it.
2: <laughs> but yeah, Ryan and Pedro, what you were saying about um him, you know, it, just uh trying new things and and blending different styles. One thing that I noticed, I I liked the rock tracks that he had on 7, but they didn't feel complete. They felt like he was kind of testing the waters a little bit. I really love what he does on Life After Salem and and Lost in the Citadel. Like those feel like he has found his footing. It integrates so well. And even though he's kind of switching genres midstream, it doesn't feel like it's out of place. And I think hopefully we can expect more of that. I mean, he's got a lot of Latin influence, some Samba like in earlier, happier tracks. Um, yeah, I, I, I really dig that. I, I think that that's probably a symptom of what we've been talking about before about Zoomers growing up with streaming and it's just like I can listen to whatever I want ever.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a big bag full of tricks, and he knows how to use them all really well. Mm-hmm.
2: We've also probably got to throw a bone to the producers. Ryan, did you at all? Yeah. What, yeah. Did you at all look up like who is involved here?
3: Uh, I know Kanye produced a track on this. Um, not a whole lot, actually. I'm sure it'd be. I'm sure it's a murderer's row of collaborators.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but uh, I don't. I don't know the most off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, well, I I'm actually glad you brought up Kanye because something was on the top of my head a little bit earlier about how this is coming at the tail end of like big names and rap releasing like long-awaited albums. We had Kanye West with Donda, and we had Drake with um Certified Lover Boy. And you know, I'm not here to throw shade at like people who have been in the game for a long time, like big names like this, but the reception. And yet- the reception has been lukewarm And then you look at what's happening With Montero and critics are just tripping Over themselves about this um, I, I guess I'm wondering Like is this Do you feel like this is a symptom of of Tastes shifting Or do you think like This has more to do With uh, an artist Having like a more realized vision
4: Oh yes I haven't listened to either of the other Two albums but I mean, even sort of the lack of interest is something, right? Because it's kind of like it, you you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, and maybe it's just lucky for Lil Nas X that this is his like debut album, mm-hmm. like no one really knew what to expect. Um, so maybe in comparison, it just seems a little more, uh, a little bit bigger of a of an event because it is his first massive piece of work.
2: And it could be a situation where. Uh, we have expectation versus what we got like who would have guessed the old town road guy had this in him and meanwhile right. one critic, like I've listened to both Donda and certified lover boy and you know I have opinions on both but like a-, a valid criticism of certified lover boy is it's it's Drake's bag of tricks like this is what he knows how to do everyone wanted him to grow up with his subject matter a little bit he did not the album's very long there's just like you know, a lot of things that you can point fingers at, like, yeah, I I get, I get Drake, but did we need Mm -hmm. this from Drake? Right.
4: Well, especially like when, like you were saying, these are long awaited albums, right? When it, when, when there's that kind of time span between things, you're, you're sort of hoping that it's because it's going to be, it's going to break the mold a little bit of that artist. You brought up, you brought up an interesting question and I'm, I I want to try and speak to it cause it is
3: interesting. Cause I, I guess I don't really, I guess the point is, is I don't really know and I can't because of how music's released and consumed in, in such short cycles. Um, it's so hard to get a read on anything cause you have the critic response, which to Donda and a certified lover boy is like lukewarm. And then you sort of move on. But like, I feel like what's rare, it's always so much like critics, people online. I feel like it's, it's hard to get a meter on what fans think. Like, the streaming numbers Mm -hmm. are insane for these things, right? Like, they're making a shitload of money. The stuff's going to be on the radio. Certain fans love it. Mm -hmm. I just can't get a sense. It's just hard to tell what anything is other than what you make of it, you know? Um, Because there's certain narratives with these albums. and, um, And, yeah, I think you're right. I think that does... I don't know if it has to do with changing tastes so much, but I think it proves more than ever just how important, like, a public, like, your your public persona is like Mm -hmm. how you present yourself to the world. Like Lil Nas X is like the most likable, charismatic, brilliant person Mm -hmm. so much that you, you want to love this album. Like, I think we all wanted to love this album, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like true. And I, I wonder if that shades the, the perception or like your enjoyment of it.
5: That's like, when I was listening,
3: I wasn't like, Oh, this is like, even if there was something that felt like not that interesting, I thought, well, Hey, it's you know, (laughs)
1: it's
3: great. It's great, but like we just given the whole track record with Kanye, I think it's people come in a lot more tough, you know, they want this brilliant, masterful thing. So if it only falls short a bit, you're much more tempted to go fuck this, fuck him, whatever. Huge letdown. Three out of 10. Um, Also, that just really cynical,
2: (laughs) independent review where they're like zero stars (laughs) like that that, that felt like a little overkill to me.
3: That's what I I mean. It's like I Mm -hmm. like to me, there's a lot of interesting moments in that. And I'm always going to listen to what he does, because even if it's not always even if he's not batting a thousand, like Mm -hmm. he's always has good ideas, I think, and interesting sampling thoughts and and is is real and does dig deep, you know, into some dark Mm -hmm. themes. And I, you know, I mean, Lou Reed was like that in his career. He didn't always hit, but it was like you were always going to listen to what he was going to put out it was always going to be thought provoking in the very least, you know? Yeah. So, and that's to me why I liked so many of those moments on the Lil Nas X album. That's to me what is interesting. And so, um, you know, that's a long, long winded answer to your question.
4: I think like what adds another layer of criticism to Kanye is he's also like, he's also the person constantly telling you like how much of a genius he is and how good everything's going to be. So it's like, okay, you're, you're setting up that expectation. Like yourself, yeah, yeah. whereas whereas as opposed to like maybe Drake won't talk about that as much. He w- He's not necessarily going to tell you how great his next thing is going to be or how amazing he is. Everyone just kind of expects it to be. So it's a l- I feel like there might be a little difference there just with the criticism. But you bring up a good point. Like it's just it, it, the public persona is a big part of it now, too. And Lil Nas X is keeps himself in the public eye very much. Mm-hmm. And he does a pretty good job of it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean him and Kanye are both masterful at, at building anticipation and making the thing an event. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Kanye, like whatever you think of that album, that build up to that was phenomenal and he's brilliant at that. And yeah. that is something a skill you, you need. Mm-hmm. So um whatever you think of his of his, you know, conduct or his politics or whatever, he's certainly quite skilled at that, yeah. as is Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X just feels more fun. Yeah, (laughs) a little less self serious. (laughs) I also feel a little bit
2: like we're in an era of post criticism because it doesn't matter what the critics say. Like you know, you come to day one, you're gonna set streaming records, and um, those songs are gonna be at the top of the chart. I read this piece, and I forget what publication it was for, but this guy, uh, he went back and he looked at pitchfork reviews that supposedly quote killed the careers of artists like in the nineties and early two thousands, back when there was this wall against listening to music. It's like mm-hmm. in order to get this, you have to go down to FYE and purchase the CD and you're going <laughs> to read pitchfork and think and read like, is this going to be worth $12 to me? Mm-hmm. Um, And, and now it just feels like it. We're, Do critics even need to exist? Like, does anyone need to tell us whether or not something is good? Is my job obsolete, guys? Should I quit?
3: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of mega, a lot of mega fans would probably say you should. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's. I I
4: think. I think the, the job of a critic's one thing. I think it's, but I think it's the importance that people put on it. That's like, that's what really is a whole different thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because for a time that was the only. Only clue you had before something came out of whether or not it was going to be good. So we've sort of put critics of not just music, but like movies, books, whatever, sort of on this pedestal because they are the first to read or to take in whatever the piece is. And that's all you have to go off of because you would have, you're going to spend the money on it, right? Yeah. Like you don't get, you don't get to listen to it for free or you don't get to read it for free or anything. You have to spend the money. So they've sort of been put in this place of, being the voice and telling us what to think about it. Whereas now you can just release whatever you want, whenever you want to, and the people are going to decide and they've already got a subscription. So they're not going to have to pay extra for whatever you're putting out.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is, that is, that is a definite shift that's influenced that. I think.
4: I
2: think the only uh, note that I want to add to that is I think that there is a useful form of media criticism in that it can help start a dialogue about a piece i'm thinking in particular about when i watched that documentary on Woodstock 99 and it made me feel a certain way but then i read that piece in vulture that like recontextualized and and kind of like talked about like what the documentary missed the mark on as far mm-hmm. as like what it was about the culture and especially about like the impetus of Uh, new metal that the documentary got completely wrong and i'm like oh like i didn't think about it this way but this guy like understands this better than i do and i like it helped me form a more nuanced opinion of the piece
3: yeah yeah absolutely but
2: like those hit pieces like the what was it the 1.6 for greta van fleet's debut like those are fun to read, but it's not gonna like make me think differently about
4: this. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna do anything for you. It's sort of you're sort of just like wallowing in this thing you already like. Yeah. Well, if
3: anything, I feel like like where is a pitchfork review like that back in the day might have. I mean, it's hard to track. Obviously, Pitchfork had a lot more purchase at one time, I think, um, or had a lot more influence in a certain way. But I think you're right. Now, if like if something gets a one point, if everything gets like a one point one, I and more likely to listen to it actually right yeah
5: yeah
2: what Um, are they
3: talking about because like you said the investment to listen is like pretty pretty nil at this point i mean you're if you have a free spotify subscription you can you can listen to that and um (laughs) like there's not a huge risk to clicking play maybe and then you can sort of decide for yourself from there um i don't know so it's it's interesting that shift seems like a much larger dialogue to be had
2: Yeah. The only real investment you have is time. Do I have time to listen to all 140 or like, no, all 100 minutes of, uh, of Donda right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, maybe traffic in LA, but yeah, this is one more question that I want to get to before we switch gears and, and meet our guests for the day. Uh, and this is a, you know, a dialogue I've seen in online spaces and in the lead up here. Uh, So, you know, coming up on the release of uh, Montero, Lil Nas X did this publicity stunt that you mentioned, Pedro, where he pretended to be pregnant and give birth to the album, which, you know, it's pretty obviously a humorous take on someone's art being their baby, but there's been a lot of discussion on the optics of this. And I'm not going to try to speak for the trans experience at all because I'm, I'm a cis white male. But what do you guys think about this? Is what he's doing. But you guys can speak yes, on it. No, I just, <laughs> I kind of want to like get automatic responses here. Like, does this feel transphobic to you? Is it perhaps bringing more awareness to the fact that some men can bear children? Like, uh, and, and obviously, Toons and Tumblr's fans, we're not the experts on this. Oof, we just want
4: to. At all.
2: I, I just want to like have it... a brief conversation about like how this feels.
3: Oh boy!
4: I mean, like, uh. yeah, coming coming from a cis male perspective, obviously it it wouldn't affect me in a negative way, right? Mm-hmm. But that's because I don't. That's because it's not something that's you know prevalent to my life. So I I I think we have to respect that some people are put off by it.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: I I get like you know where little Nas X is coming from, and I I doubt there was any intent on his part to say anything about the trans experience. Yeah, he's not. Um, yep. So, but I mean I, I I get why it why it can be triggering for some people. I mean, it's something people some people deal with. I think it's just something that I've
2: seen so prominently in this space, like anytime he has been posting these uh these pregnant like where he has a very pregnant belly, like if you go into the comments, there's a fierce dialogue taking place. and i I do think, like at the very least. This gives people a platform to explain, like, what their experience is and, may- yeah, like you said, maybe why
4: you shouldn't do it. It's obviously, you know, a lighthearted thing, right? He's pregnant with this piece of art. I don't think that makes it a joke mm-hmm. in my eyes. I don't think that makes it a joke, but I-, I understand why. I understand why some people are triggered by it completely. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, whatever the intent was, this is the result. So just you got to figure out how to navigate all that um and that's tough especially when you're especially when it in terms of like creativity right yeah and you're the, trying to you're trying to express something that's the way he felt best to do it and yeah, it backfired in some in some in some people's minds
2: and that's the the issue with everything being so transparent in the online discourse today like you are mm-hmm. so visible that everything yeah. you do can and you know in some cases should be scrutinized
4: right yeah yeah, yeah at the at the very least like like i said at the very least those criticisms need to be heard
2: right we're not here to joe rogan this whole conversation with like why is everyone so upset <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah.
4: there's no there's nothing there's nothing wrong with people voicing those opinions and there's definitely nothing wrong with listening to them absolutely and considering them
2: I think that that is a very well-considered answer, Pedro, and thank you for giving it. And thank you guys for talking about like every part of Montero with me, the things that we liked, the, uh, the personas involved. There's just a lot here. Well, <laughs> well, you guys, we have a whole second half of our episode to get into, and I'm very excited about it. Are you ready? Oh, yeah.
4: Yes.
3: Stoked.
2: So, it would not be Century Club without a stellar musical guest, and honestly, I think the one joining us today can give Daddy Nas a run for his money. She's a singer-songwriter zooming in all the way from France. Her sophomore album, My Rose, just dropped on Youngbloods, one of our favorite labels, and home to the king of moods himself, John Moses. She has been praised by the likes of Rolling Stone and Marie Claire for her daring, otherworldly production and her unique take on old-time folk and Americana. She's here today to talk to us all about this unexpected gem of a record and how collaboration can open infinite creative doors. Tunes and Tumblrs fam, please welcome Penelope Antenna to the pod.
5: Ow!
0: Hi.
2: Thank, <laughs> Hello. You, thank you for joining us. What time is it over there?
0: It's 9 p.m. Sunday night.
2: <laughs> and we just woke <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful night tonight, so perfect timing i have um i have a view on the the ocean right now i'm looking out uh, oh my god the ocean oh, wow. and yeah i have a, a most delicious drink and i'm ready mm.
2: <laughs> and we're gonna get mm. all into that in a second um and in fact uh well before we we talk about um the drink that pedro has prepared for your album i just want to uh ask about the, the pronunciation of this title it's B E A M O R O S E. So I'm 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 saying B-morose, but is that correct? What's the story behind that?
0: Well, because it's a made up word, I don't think there's a proper way to say it. I would <laughs> usually pronounce it B A Morose because there's an A in the middle, but it could all totally be a silent A too. It's really Beam and Morose smashed into one word, and. How it came up is um, there's, a, there's a word in French that's kind of like uh, a sound, like wham, you know, you'd say in English, it's beam. And I was playing one of the songs I had just written from the album to my best friend, and she was like, wham, moros, here we go again. Another sad <laughs> song, another moros song. Dead Winter playing her super sad song that I had written and it kind of stuck with me. I liked it. Beam Morrows. And I wrote it down on my phone and then cut to like nine months later. I was like, I actually have a title for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I had to like uh, sell it to the record label to Youngbloods being like, no, but I swear, like it's, it's a great word. <laughs> I'm trying to explain. This and will so, work,
4: guys. I promise.
0: Yeah. But so because like beam means uh, stream streaming something like an antenna right. and my name is antenna it kind of made like we found a new meaning for it which was great wow. so it stuck wow. yeah. be morose yeah. be morose anthony whichever. also
3: pointed out that it also functions as a command in english like be morose yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, okay so
0: like you know how you say uh a something's atonal, tonal m- mm-hmm. meaning it, it is not tonal i liked be moros, like don't be morose oh okay um, yeah.
2: No I one like saw that. that I just spilled my drink all over myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't think we need to talk about the album at all. We just talk about the title this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> mm.
2: But it wouldn't be Tunes and Tumblers if we didn't have a nice, delicious, amazing drink to pair with this. And Pedro has just the thing. What is it?
4: So I decided to focus on the song Prairie for the inspiration of the drink. And I just really like that song a lot. Um, and it's also, I think, the song that we'll be playing at the end of this. Um, and you said you like gin, so that was sort of... I do. That was where mm-hmm. I started with everything. I just wanted something... I wanted something light and set, kind of sunny, like, as far as what you're drinking, and then the song just... It puts you in this space where you're in a prairie, and, you know, you can... <laughs> it's it's just a beautiful... It's What's the line? It's like, heck, what a beautiful day, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I just... I wanted something to kind of go with that and sort of represent that in a drink, and so... Uh, this drink is called a Prairie Blossom, and it's gin, Grand Marnier, uh, bitters, elderflower tonic uh, with some orange peel to garnish it. And it's just very, like, aromatic. Um, a lot of botanicals coming at you, so it's just kind of – it's very fresh and light, but also, you know, strong and uh, just delicious. So, And you were able to actually make it on your end, yeah. which I'm very excited mm-hmm. about. Of
0: course. I had um, to. So, and it's a node it's a node to my origin too, right? Because Grand Marnier is French, so it was exactly. nice. Exactly, I oh. like that. Yeah, had to,
4: <laughs> had to be done. <laughs> but um, how do you, how do you like it? Like, d- I explain love it. to me.
0: <laughs> okay, so like I said, I love uh, gin, and yep. I, like I also said, I'm by the ocean right now, and where I am at right now, they use Grand Mar- Grand Marnier to uh, uh, fire crepes. How do you call it when you use oh, yeah. uh, alcohol flam- to burn. Flam-
4: Yeah, you like flambe something.
0: Flambe- yeah, I-, I was looking for the English word, <laughs> but I'm guessing there isn't. It's oh yeah, we just we, the just, we word. just
4: use your word. We're not very yeah cool. yeah <laughs>
0: flambe. So like there's this thing, you make crepes and then you flambe them with uh, Grand Marnier. So it's like it was it was a double nut to um, things I love. So love it's it. nice. It's beautiful. I love it.
4: Great. I'm so glad to hear that. So yeah, this is uh, this is a prairie blossom in honor of Penelope Antenna. Cheers to
2: that. I mean, uh, I've already mentioned that I am drinking Trader Joe's sparkling water because I am out of Topo Chico. It's a very sad day. We're still in quarantine. I don't get to try the drinks. But anyway, cheers to you all.
3: <laughs> cheers. Cheers.
0: Mm. Cheers. Mm.
3: See, Pedro, Pedro could have been obvious and put a little bit of um powder cocaine on the rim and put some honey in it but he's he's an artist but it's we been say? done it's been it's done been <laughs> been <there.
4: laughs>
3: it's check been it. done and it is done it's it gets been, done every it's night.
4: been done will continue to be done
2: <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about check out the album and you will understand <laughs> but yes <laughs> this is your call this is your call to action yes you, you all have to listen to be morose be A morose. um this is your second album. Uh, the first was Antelope. And I was reading that it, that was more of a solitary work while this one is kind of characterized by a lot of collaboration. So my first question is what made you decide to bring in such a diverse musical uh, array of, of talents featured on this record?
0: Well, it was really cause I've met them, those talents. I went to Chicago on my own. After writing my first album, uh, album I went on tour. And after coming back from touring, I was like listening to a lot of folk and Americana, and I, it was really I was I was really into a phase, and and I heard this song called West Western Bound, West 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 Bound. I don't know, but just go to go west. <laughs> and I don't remember the exact the exact title of the song, but I was like, I need to fucking go to west. Sorry, I I swear. Is that okay? Oh <laughs> yeah, everyone always
2: asks. Just be yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> our, our network so,
0: does yeah, not so, care. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, I went on a whim on my own and um, I went to Chicago and there I, I was lucky enough to randomly meet Woody Gus from Wolfpack and obviously when you meet someone like that you end up meeting a bunch of incredibly talented musicians and that's what happened. I met this um, producer called Brandon Forrest, Chicago uh, born and we started working on music together, and he also know he also knew a bunch of uh very talented people, and I had those demos with me, and and just everyone came in and started jamming on different songs, and it ended up being this mishmash of um, incredible um, ideas coming from everyone, and I liked I liked it way more than I liked making the first album on my own. Actually, it was. Um, it was a way of um, just just collaborating made it to where it wasn't just, it sounds so obvious, but it's true, it wasn't just me anymore. And they brought um, just great, I, I didn't want to bring any uh, uh, concept. I just wanted them to do whatever they wanted and that's what they did. And the more I did it, the more I did it. <laughs> like, uh, we brought, uh, it, it ended up being like, I think there's like 20 musicians on the record. wow that's awesome Mm
2: -hmm. yeah collaboration can really uh open you up to new possibilities i mean i could have done this podcast by myself but i don't know if it would be at the at the level it is without (laughs) without pedro and ryan here
0: Mm i also have this tendency of when i'm on my own of writing very sad songs which is not a bad thing and you need it and it helps healing and it's a great I, I love doing it and I need to do it but it was also great bringing people who were just mentally <laughs> uh, <laughs> sane and and who wrote like beautiful and cheerful songs and that was a change really Yeah mm-hmm.
2: Ryan You best. can
3: really hear the sadness in a lot of these uh too though I feel like but oh. yeah they are the the textures in them really are unbelievable I mean, it's quite an achievement, all the, the textures you've managed to um, blend together here. Um, Thank you. And to a really coherent work. But yeah, I think some of these are just so beautifully sad. I think, um, I think I've figured out now after listening to this what my marriage song and death song are going to be. And I think they're going <laughs> to be from this They're album. the same song? They're the same song. <laughs> 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 well, that's what a marriage is, right? You walk down the aisle waving goodbye <laughs> to everybody, right? It's just, you... just, just two different deaths. So
0: which would that be?
3: Col- Colors When You Breathe is the marriage song. Yeah. Um, I love that. And uh, uh, Prairie. Prairie is the death song. A beautiful, but like a celebration. Well, it's really
0: what death. it's about, right? It's about yeah. death. It really is. I don't know where it came from, too. I just like... I, I I wrote it I had my mom's guitar and my studio got floated, so I moved everything I had into this little bedroom in my house. Wait, did you say flooded? Yes, I did. Oh, twice. Goodness. What is happening What is, what happening? is that keep happening to
4: everybody? <laughs>
0: Wait, the <laughs> a a second,
3: second guest. <laughs> Penelope, you have sorry to interrupt your, your story. I this sounds like a but we had a guest in our recording from our last episode whose studio literally started flooding during the recording and he had to step away <laughs> to fix it. Anyway, continue. That's
0: what happened, yeah. it's It actually Dang. sucked, but I got lucky that we just, like, outlets got really, like, nothing got damaged too much, which was, like, incredibly, like, I don't know how lucky I got that nothing mm-hmm. got damaged. Um, But so, like, I moved everything I had, or, like, the most essential things to record, into this little bedroom, and the window was open, and I could hear through the mic the whole, like, the little village that, that was nearby like people talking and the dog barking and the wind and the leaves because it was like end of um autumn and <laughs> i just got sad because <laughs> it was so fucking morose and so i wrote um uh, just those lyrics came came out as the same time at the same time as the, the chord the guitar chords came and and it, it, it's really about dying like and mm. yeah
2: I'm curious, what about um <laughs> being removed from like what was going on in the village, like lent itself to that feeling of uh being morose to you?
0: Well, I guess the whole it was kind of okay, so the place I recorded most of this album, aside from uh Chicago, was this little place in the south of France that is in and of itself super morose. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like the whole mm-hmm. thing, the whole place. And it's beautiful too. It's the whole charm of it is that it is kind of sad and beautiful at the same time and that's i don't think i don't think it was being uh away from the village more than just like just looking what i was seeing you know mm-hmm. through the window or, uh, that was uh, the vibe the vibe of that evening was really you know i don't know when you kind not, of just not, it was sad that, that. yeah it's not sad's not the right word it was more uh melancholic mm-hmm. you know yeah um, um
4: very fine i have a question. I have a question about collaboration. Yeah. Because, um, you know, obviously when you're, when you're working on anything artistic with other people, you tend to just learn from what they do, right? What yeah. do you feel you took away from the collaborations on this album, if anything?
0: If anything, I'll say harmony. Just m- yeah. Music theory is the, the biggest thing I have learned from working with Brendan, especially Brendan Forrest, has uh, spent countless uh, hours Teaching me, and then I went back home and started really working hard uh, on my own and playing the piano, learning jazz piano. Like I was like, they opened my mind to what is o- what had always been described to me as something that would uh, stop you from being creative. Because if mm. you learn too much, then you, then you don't have any surprises anymore. Which was really how I used to write, right? Like yeah. you come up with chords or you sample something, and you don't really know what you're doing. But that's the beauty of it. And I always spot uh, learning. Harmony would stop me from coming up with uh, surprising things, and it absolutely doesn't. And I recommend to every musician to learn at least the, b- the basics of it, because because it allowed me to go where I wanted to go. So you start with something surprising, like a sample or a chord you wouldn't have thought of, you know, just like putting your I don't know your hands on the piano, and then because you know harmony you know where to take it you know where to go mm-hmm. you know if you if you feel sad at the time you're writing it you know how to tr- it's a, it's such a great way to transcribe emotions translate emotions and it like changed my life <laughs> not just the way I'm, i write music but also the way i listen to it and people like obviously you had you had to come up at some point but people like james blake <laughs> yeah. um he's someone who's so uh versed in music harmony and it really shows and that's what that's how he surprises us with drops and stuff that you wouldn't expect and that's how you get like goosebumps uh, mm-hmm. provided that you like him obviously <laughs> but uh
2: we're all fans um, here we um, love okay him. cool
0: cool cool <laughs> same so i think i've realized after learning so much that that's how he does it he knows where what he wants to say and where and how to make you feel the same way he does you know Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest, the biggest um, thing I took from collaborating with all those guys in Chicago.
4: Makes a lot of sense. Solid foundation is only going to make your like what raw talent you have even better.
0: Mm-hmm, totally. And, and and it's not to say that like people like n- n- countless. I don't I don't even have names, but like people who don't know harmony don't make or are not are not able to trans- translate uh, emotions. Of course they are, and of course there's mm-hmm. tons of songs that only have like two chords that are amazing. Like. Again, I don't have an example in mind, but there's so many. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, but it, it's, it, it definitely, definitely helped me um, being able to say more, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: I really like that perspective a lot. Um, I was just thinking about this the other day, about how uh, having someone else around to teach you something new can help you understand your own emotions better and be able to communicate them better. Um, like, that's just so powerful, right?
0: Yeah. And also to have someone, because you can only write from what you know, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes I'll write from another song that I really liked, or I'll write from a movie I've seen, but most of the time I'll write about what I've experienced in my life. And it was really, cool being able to share life experiences with someone else and be like, I've never lived that, you know, I've never lived through for example, I've never lost someone that's very dear to me, you know, mm-hmm. and something Brendan has experienced and he actually uh this some like he actually lost someone while we were together. And it's like something like that that I would have never thought of writing about or felt the need to suddenly became something that I was uh drawn to you know felt compelled to sing about or write about or just one of the many examples of life experiences that you're able to share with people that make you uh, a better writer you know if you can only write about what you lived and you're a musician and most of your life has been (laughs) writing music you're not gonna probably have much to write about you know and it's great to be able to share with um friends and people and life experiences and Write songs together, too, like something I had never done. Write lyrics with someone, you know, so what mm-hmm. do you want to sing about? What, where do you think this is go? What rhymes with that word? Like things I used to always do on my own, suddenly, I was doing with other people, and it was it was great. I loved it because sometimes you get stuck, and then you you, you you give up on songs, I think, when you're alone, super easily. And it mm-hmm. was nice to be with people who are like, "No, this is worth something.'ll we'll, we'll figure it out. we'll We'll, we'll finish it. Cause it's great, you know, colors when you breathe is a good example of a song that I was like, ah, I I don't know. And then people came in and it became something, an actual song, you know,
3: Mm -hmm. that's great.
2: This is so interesting because it does feel in a lot of ways that we are, uh, reaching a point in pop music where the collaboration is King. Like everyone is on everyone else's track. Everyone is trading ideas it it seems like there's more of a coming together now. Is that something that you think is uh, prominent that you've experienced? Are we all moving in that direction?
0: Well, I think if you think of pop music and what's really like the biggest names out there right now, take Kanye for example. Like most of the collaborations on his album are just there so it have names to drop. You mm. know, that's a good point. And I think, yeah, I think where I'm. It's not like I have Rosalia on my album, or you know. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god, that would be that would be an incredible collab. <laughs> Thank you, but um, you know what I mean. So like, we I collaborated just for the sake of being able to share. It. Not to say that every famous uh, musician out there does it for uh, you know commercial reasons, but most of the time it kind of is. You know, like I do yeah. not know if maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I'm not sure, Aaron. Desner was like, I really want to work with Taylor Swift. She's my favorite artist. I love what she does. I'm pretty sure of it was like some kind of uh agenda, you know? And I think that's what's cool about not being famous. It's you get to choose who you collaborate with and there's no there's no other reason than just share art and make beautiful things together.
2: That's an amazing point. I'm reminded of when we were speaking to Nombe. And he mentioned that, uh, like, uh, a collaboration just means that um, your your agent has brought you someone that you've never heard of that you want to, yeah. that they want <laughs> you to actually record with.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And luckily, I've never been in that position. <laughs> so we'll, maybe it'll happen, you know, and we'll see what I do. But for now, everyone I've collaborated with ever was uh, people I wanted to and I knew and was for example, uh, you might not know him, but I wrote a song uh, earlier this month with some with a folk artist named Dan Reader. He's this he's this old. It's not not too old. He's just <laughs> <laughs> he's this gentleman. Uh, he's signed on old oh boy, for John John Prine's record label oh. is in that vein. They've worked together a bunch, and and we've collaborated on a track and. We're we're probably not, and I'm, I'm not even sure that we're gonna release it on either Young Bloods or Oh Boy. We might just do it on our own, and it was it, it is because it was just for the sake of writing a beautiful song together. Because I admire him so much, and there was there's nothing to gain. Like it was just pure joy and pure. Um, uh, I like you. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I like your career. You're amazing. You, you want to do something with me? Yes. Mm, so.
2: Collaborate with intention. Yeah. That is a good takeaway here.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> Genuine Definitely. interest in collaborating.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, we're, we're kind of coming up on the end of the interview here, but I want to ask one more question because I was thinking about this. Um, I was reading about uh, your family and you and your mother both adopted the name Antenna in your stage name. I know that she was uh, the founding member of the, uh, the Electro Samba Trio Antenna. But I want to know, what is the significance of that legacy to you? What made you decide to become an antenna as well?
0: Well, the um, straight-up answer, the shortest answer would be, my mom is the coolest, dopest, most amazing, intelligent artist I have ever had the chance, the privilege to meet. She is incredible, and her legacy, her career, what she's capable of doing with the music business and the art and mix the two to where she was able to only do that as a main gig was like she's such an inspiration I would have never thought of being called anything else I'm so proud to be an antenna (laughs) I love her is the shortest answer (laughs) that's
2: awesome that's That's the best answer
0: you should totally everyone listening go check out Camino Del Sol antenna from the band antenna it is it's it's really it's cult it's amazing It's, it's the greatest record ever I had a, <laughs> a and now it's I, on the playlist.
3: I discovered that I discovered that cool. in, in college I think at a Santa Barbara record store and Spiral Staircase became my my jam, my coastal jam for a while.
5: <laughs> cool. And I cool, think cool. that's
3: what John and I actually first like bonded over. <laughs>
5: that's I think it so was
3: cool. Antenna and Broadcast. We were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Full yes. we'll circle that's, moment. That's, wow. Seconding, <laughs> totally. seconding, seconding that. Seconding Such a good <laughs> good record.
2: Thank you. Well, now it's I'll on the playlist. Her. Tunes and Tumblers fam, oh, cool. go into that episode <laughs> description and listen to the playlist. You'll get to check out Antenna for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Penelope, thank you so much for joining us on this lovely afternoon slash late evening. Um, <laughs> thank you. Before, <laughs> thank you for having me. Of course. This was a great conversation. And before we transition, um, is there anything you would like to plug for our listeners?
0: Yes, actually. Moros comes out on vinyl um, late October. We don't actually have a date, but get ready. It'll be end of early fall, uh, end of summer. Um, records will be out and ready to ship everywhere. And um, I'll be touring the UK in October too. And then Brussels. And then I'll be touring Europe. <laughs> Let's just say that. Nice. Go to my website and you'll find the dates. <laughs> What's
3: All the it? website?
0: Um, .org? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, this this sounds like a record, yeah, that definitely needs to be heard on vinyl. Uh, yeah. On on the right speakers. I can't wait mm-hmm. to God, with, yeah, the, right gonna,
4: yeah, with Ooh, the right beverage. Ooh, yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I made we made reference to that song, Crack Cocaine, but that song it like blows my blows my fucking mind. I like cannot believe I'm like still Listeners, I mean, obviously listen to the whole album, but that one is just—I've never heard anything like it. It's such an unbelievable progression, and so many interesting textures. Um, yeah, thank so you I so can't much wait to listen, listen for that, listen for that one.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thank, thank you, you so
3: much for being here. We really appreciate it.
2: And <laughs> thank you all for listening to Toons and Tumblers. Tunes and Tumblers is an Atwood Magazine podcast and a member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Be sure to like the show and Atwood on every platform and check out some more of Pantheon's amazing music-based pods. Also, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out so, so much. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the episode, you'll find a link where you can donate directly to the show. Every dollar helps keep Drew off the street and recording the pod. <laughs> uh, Tunes and Tumblers was produced, as always, by Drew Franz Blau. Our theme song is by New New Girlfriend. And now, without further ado, here is Prairie by Penelope Antenna. Cheers. Cheers.
3: Cheers.
0: Cheers. The summer's gone away. Will you tell the world to found me? We keep it on the fairway.
5: Please tell the world to me. Rest in just one.
4: 92 percent of households that start the year with peloton are still active a year later 92 percent because of a
2: bike not just bikes we also make treadmills and roars oh let me guess for elite athletes only